Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. This is a this is a series that I I just I love what's going on with it and I hope that you are enjoying it that you're being moved by it um, that is challenging you and um, I hope that's been a blessing to you I have to be creative here with my technology so I can have some notes to read to you but we're going to talk today about a man called Paul a man called Paul now some of you that are church you're churchy people right you've been Christians all your life or come to church all your life, you know who Paul is. And I want to walk us through Paul's story today and Lord willing next week and maybe even the week after because Paul is one of the most important figures in all of the Bible. New Testament, Old Testament, Paul is pretty much next to Jesus and Moses. There's almost no one more important than Paul. Peter is like, Peter's like neck and neck and Paul and Peter went at it. They were like brothers in the same house, and they had some pretty severe arguments, right? And we're going to get into that as we go through Paul's life. But Paul didn't start out so well. Paul didn't, who was saved from birth here? You were a Christian from the time you were born. Anybody? No, that's not how it works, is it? We have to have a time in our life where we recognize, oh my word, I am a mess. I need a savior, and aren't you glad that he loves us? That was the song that we just sang. Sometimes uh, I feel like God can't love me because I've blown it too much or I've, I've blown it too big, right? I was talking to Patrick last night before our, men's, um, before our men's gathering, thank you, and uh, we, were, we were kind of talking about that. Sometimes it's hard to believe that God loves us. Does anybody feel that way today? Anybody feel it's hard to believe God loves me? And you're not a bank robber, you're not a murderer, and you haven't raped anybody, but you know you, and you look in the mirror, and sometimes you just feel low. You feel like, how could he love me? And this is where Paul's life, I think, this morning, is going to be really important to you here who are struggling with believing that God could love you. Maybe you're even a Christian, and you have flunked, failed, and fell, and you are feeling... Like, how could God still love me? How could God still love me? Maybe you're here and you haven't come face to face with Jesus and you've never experienced the love for the first time. I hope today you will experience the love of God for the first time in a supernatural and overwhelming way because He loves you. So turn in your Bibles if you have them. If you have your Bible app, it's on there. Um, Go to the events page on the Bible app, YouVersion Bible app. You'll see Emmanuel Baptist Church. Click it. Follow along. We are in Philippians chapter 3. This is a plug for Peter, uh, who's been going through Philippians online every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Peter Clow, he is our discipleship pastor. He's been leading an online Bible study group on our Facebook page, Facebook Live, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, and he's gone through the book of Philippians, and he's a tremendous teacher. Everything Peter touches usually turns to gold. 
Um, he's, he's just, he is blessed, and we are blessed to have him in our church. Can I get an amen for that? Come on now. You sound like you don't mean it. Is Peter cool? Is Peter a good guy? Is he a good pastor? He, we are blessed to have him. He's one of my best friends. I've been so blessed. I knew him when he was about this tall. Well, that's still now. I mean, but when he was younger. Anyways, let's move on before I get in trouble here. Uh, beware of dogs. Michelin, where are you this morning? You see in here, where are you? Might be in the, oh, there you are. Beware of dogs, Michelin. She, she, she came and parked, and I happened to have Edgar outside trying to get him to do his business before service, and he saw her pull in, and he was just, he was locked and loaded to go say hello to Michelin. And my dog has been naughty lately, and he will not listen to me, so it's time to get the shock collar back out. But he like took off, and I don't know if he knows that you're Ron's wife, but he was just like so happy to see her, but she, I heard this, she opened the door and he was right there. Now, Edgar's not really the dog you want to beware of because he's like kind of a friendly dog. Unless you're Nate. He bit Nate when Nate was a little boy. Uh, but Nate's the only person he's really bit. Um, really. And so this isn't really what Paul is talking about. He's talking about those people who are legalists, those people who want to bind extra biblical laws upon you, those people that want to drag you back into the Old Testament who do not understand the grace of God that is found in Jesus, do not understand the forgiveness of God that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. These are the dogs, right? He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And when he talks about mutilation, what he is saying is, now remember Paul, maybe you don't remember because you haven't been taught this, but Paul was an apostle sent by Jesus to the Gentiles. Gentiles are basically just non-Jewish people. And one of the characteristics of Jewish people was they were circumcised, usually by the eighth or on the eighth day. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Does everybody understand what circumcision is? Do I have to describe it? No, thank you, because I don't want to describe it. I don't remember it. I don't want to remember it. Um, I don't want to describe it because it just sends pain. So what was happening is if you wanted to be a proselyte to, to Judaism, in other words, you wanted to join the Jewish religion as an adult male, they forced you to be circumcised as an adult. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty difficult work, don't you think, guys? How many of you guys think that's no big deal? Anybody? No big deal? I'm pretty sure these, these Greeks thought it was a big deal. Some of them loved Jesus so much that they were willing to be circumcised so they could minister to the Jews. Did you know that? Did you know that? That there was a man that Paul took with him and he had him circumcised because he was, he was, he was going to be ministering to the Jewish people and they wouldn't listen to him if he wasn't circumcised. So he wore a mask. I mean, sorry. So he was circumcised so he could reach those people. I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff in the Bible. But beware of the mutilation. Beware of people that say you must be circumcised or you must wear a mask to be a Christian. That's not the case. For we are the circumcision. Now he's saying, listen, we are the circumcision. We Gentiles, we Greeks are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, you remember, oh gosh, Lord, please help me to say, stop saying you remember. You may 
realize that Jesus said this to the early Christians. He said, the time has come when they that worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's not about a synagogue. It's not about a church building. It's not about the temple. It's not about Jerusalem. It's about the spirit and truth. And here Paul is reiterating what Jesus said. He goes on, for though I also might have confidence in the flesh. As we are, we are the true circumcision, circumcised in our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, we've been set apart. We've been set apart by God through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We who have trusted in Jesus. And then he, then he says this, though. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh as a Jew. So here's the deal. You have these Jewish people, these Judaizers is what they're called. They're coming into this church at Philippi, and they're saying, if you want to be a good Christian, if you really want to be right, a part of the family, you need to be circumcised. Now, that caused a little bit of discouragement in the church. That caused a little fuss in the church. Can you imagine? So Paul here, he's stepping in and saying, they think they have authority because they're Jews? And that's how the Jews felt. They felt superior because the Bible, the Old Testament scripture was, was delivered to us. We are the chosen people and you're just Gentiles. You're kind of like the stepchild. We're the real deal. And so when we come into your church and we tell you you need to be circumcised, you better listen to us because we're the real deal. And Paul said, oh, nay, nay. I know you guys, John Panay. I am, the, I am just as real a deal as they are. I have more confidence in the flesh compared to them. If anybody thinks he has, confident in the, he has confidence in the flesh, I, have, I more so. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee. Man, I was the quintessential Hebrew. I was the best of the best. My pedigree as a Jewish person is unquestionably the best. And he said, concerning the law, a Pharisee. So he was not only a Jew, circumcised, and part of the tribe of Benjamin, but he was also a Pharisee. Pharisees were the religious rulers of Israel, and Paul used to be one of them. He was a pretty, pretty religious dude. So he's challenging their authority by establishing his own, and then he reminds them that it's essentially useless later on. Concerning zeal, I persecuted this Christian church. That's what he means by persecuting the church. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. And what he means by that is that he made sure that he did every sacrifice when he was supposed to do it, he followed the law to the letter. He was a Pharisee. He was full of himself at one point in his life. He was the holier-than-thou person that you can't stand. 
I can't stand them either, so I don't blame you. This was Paul, a man deceived. So I, I, I wanted to start with Philippians because I really liked what he was saying here. Because what he was saying here illustrates who he was before he was saved, before he became a Christian. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, concerning the law, he was blameless, he was the real deal. In the Jewish faith, people would look at Paul and say, man, I want my son to grow up just like you. But he elaborates and he gives us a little bit more detail that he went even above and beyond the call of duty. He had a zeal to persecute the Christian church because he believed Jesus was not the real deal. Jesus was a false messiah. Jesus was a magician, right? Jesus was evil. And these Jews who were following Jesus were evil in joining his scheme. And so he looked at them as the enemy and he persecuted the church with zeal. He loved what he was doing. He was zealous about it, intense about it. He was a man deceived. Before Paul was called Paul, he was first called Saul. And when he was a Pharisee, he went by the name Saul. And God changed his name to Paul somewhere along the way. But he was first called Saul. And listen, man, he was a deceived soul. Born in the Roman Empire, this is important later on, he was a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was raised in the faith, right? But he was born in a Roman province in Turkey. So he was a Roman citizen, and that comes into play later on in his story, later on in his life. But he was part of what's referred to as the dispersion by the Apostle Peter. When you read Peter's two letters, and he says to the dispersion, right? he's talking to, to Jewish people who were living outside of the nation of Israel, and Paul was one of those people that he would have been writing his letter to, right? So he was part of that family of Jews that were raised outside of the borders. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as I said. He, he, ha, he seemed to have loathed Christianity and its adherents, and were introduced first to Saul, who would later become Paul, when he gives consent to the men who murdered one of the very first deacons of the very first church. That's really our first introduction to Saul. Let's take a, <clears throat> let's take a look at that. So we know already that he has this, this hatred for Christianity. <coughs> Excuse me, and here you see a sermon by Stephen. Now remember a few weeks ago I asked you to read the full chapter of John, right? John chapter 1. I think I asked you to read Luke chapter 1 or chapter 2. Y'all remember that? Here's your homework. Read Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, because we don't have time to go through Stephen's whole sermon. Stephen preached Jesus pretty much from Genesis all the way through to Malachi. Stephen was a deacon who knew his stuff, and he went toe-to-toe with the religious leaders of his day. And do you know what he did? He did what every good Christian preacher does. He irritated the living daylights out of them. They could not stand him. And he said this, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. 
Now, they're taking pride in their flesh, but they have forgotten that God looks at the heart. As a matter of fact, at Amos, he, Amos, a prophet of the Old Testament, told the nation of Israel, get rid of, your, get rid of your instruments, get rid of your songs, get rid of your feast days and your worship, because it's not to me. It's to you. It's noise in my, eye, in my ears. I can't stand the sound of your worship. All right, so here comes... Stephen talking to this same people saying he's stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Now remember, Jews were very proud of their circumcision. Were they not? Do you understand that? Um, we know that because every time they followed Paul to wherever Paul went, they tried to circumcise the living daylights out of all the adult males in the new churches. They were proud of themselves. As a matter of fact, there were some Christians that believed that, and they, and they took glory in however many men they could get to follow them in that rite of circumcision. They glory in the flesh of others, is what the Bible teaches in Galatians. It's kind of like legalistic churches. And I've been around them. I used to be one. And you would go into services, and, and I had an evangelist say, wow, your church looks really good. Well, the people really know how to dress there. And they would say, you take pride in that. Oh, my women are modest. My men are in ties and coats and suits. And why aren't we good and godly and holy? No, no, no. Not the case. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. When he says fathers, he doesn't mean immediate family. He means their ancestral fathers. The people that Amos talked to. That's who Stephen is referring to. Which of the prophets, this is, Stephen was a really courageous man. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Was there anyone? Right? Which did they not kill? They killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. And he's now talking about Jesus, the just one. You've received the law by directions of angels and you have not kept it. In other words, these early first century Jews, they had the Old Testament scriptures. They had the prophecy of Isaiah. Right? They had the prophecy of Amos. They had the prophecy of Malachi. They had all these prophecies that pointed toward the coming of Jesus Christ and they didn't hear it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. When they heard what things? You're stiff-necked, you've killed the prophets, and now you killed the just one, the Messiah, the chosen one. They were cut to the heart, they were convicted, and they were angry, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. You ever grind your teeth? Because you're either in so much pain, or you're in that much anger. Anybody? Anybody ever feel that way? Come on, is it not? It's just me, right? You're just like, oh, I'm going to kill you. That was this crowd. I'm going to kill you. And the problem is they had no restraint. He, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Now they're going to kill you. And he looks up into heaven and he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know, folks, when I tell you to expect Jesus last year, Advent, expect Jesus in your pain, in every circumstance, this is what I'm talking about, man. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, look, 
I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, how do you think these people reacted to that? They think, oh, really? We're sorry. No, 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 he just, he incensed them even more. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped up their ears and ran at him with one accord. How many of you guys have little kids? You tell them to clean their room and they go, la, 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 I can't hear you. I mean, this is, it's childish, but it's also, it's also scary. And this has happened. They stop up their ears. They run at him with one accord. Now, Jewish law said they weren't, to, they weren't to kill or stone somebody within the city. They had to get him out of the city. That's why Jesus was crucified out of the city. Right? But here's the problem here. They don't have the authority to do this by the Roman Empire, whom they are vassals to, but they do have it under Jewish law. So they're ignoring Roman law right now. That's why they're murderers. He goes on. They cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named named Saul. This is a story of Saul, a man deceived. A man deceived. They stoned Stephen, and as he, as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down, cried out with a loud voice, and standing in the crowd, Observing all of these things with authority and listening to it was Saul. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep because Christians, we die differently than those who are not. He fell asleep. And I believe Jesus and the holy angels lifted him up and brought him home. Safe in their arms. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Saul consented. He gave his consent for them to murder this holy man of God. He gave his consent. Is that a big deal? My wife watches all of these crazy murder, mystery, serial killer. If I, go, if I disappear, <laughs> listen, her and Chloe were probably in tandem and they probably did it together. And you probably will not find any kind of clues because they watch these shows where they teach the serial killers how not to get caught. In some of those shows, there are people that hire killers and they consent they give the killer a consent to the death of the person that they have hired them to kill. This is the case. He's not hiring them, but he has given his consent. Do they charge the person who hired the person to kill with murder? Who's the girl that's still in jail, that, the teacher? What's her name again? In Exeter? Or Pamela? Is she still in jail? Yeah. You follow what I'm saying? Paul, Saul, was guilty of the murder of Stephen. And at that time, a great persecution rose against the church, the church of Jesus Christ, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They hung out, they stayed in Jerusalem. So now Paul, Saul, he was a man deceived. 
He could not see, would not see, I contend, that Jesus was the chosen one. He would not see that their Messiah would come as a baby. He would not see that their Messiah would die on the cross. He would not see it. He wasn't like Nicodemus who could see through the lies that were being told. He would not see it, and he was consenting to his death. And then, that may have been the beginning of Paul becoming a man on a mission. The devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. You see, Paul has authority. That's why he could consent to the death of Stephen. And then Saul, now we're seeing some, some venom. He's breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he goes to the high priest and he's like, I'm, Jerusalem's not enough. He asked for letters from him to go to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, and that is what Christians are, we are people of the way, right? Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Paul was a man on a mission. And his mission, folks, the mission of Saul, Paul, was to destroy the church of Jesus Christ, to destroy this new sect of Judaism called Christianity. He was to destroy it. He was, he was loathing and breathing out hatred and venom and threats against it. He hated Christianity so much, he wasn't satisfied with the stoning of Stephen. He wanted to go to these other towns and drag them out of the synagogues and carry them bound to Jerusalem so they could be killed too. This is Paul pre-Jesus. Hello? Those of you guys watching online, I'm answering a phone. It's okay. I get it. Did I ever tell you the story of when I planted a church and we were in the living room of Paul Cushane and it was a, was it a Wednesday? Please let it be a Wednesday night, babe. I'm going to say it's a Wednesday night because that's a little less embarrassing. And my phone rang, my cell phone. And my guitar was in the shop at that point. And I don't know why, but it was really important to me. <laughs> and I just answered the phone in the middle of my Bible study that I was teaching. And I'm like, what did I just do? Anyways, so you guys, if that happens, yeah, maybe be embarrassed a little bit, but you're not going to be embarrassed as much as I was. <laughs> It'd be like my, me answering the phone right now. Paul was a man on a mission. He was passionate about destroying the church of Jesus. He was, a, he was in, a, in, in a very real sense, a murderer of the people of the way. And, and listen, true Christianity, those are the most pleasant, loving, humble, gracious people when they're following Jesus. And I know in our society right now, it doesn't seem that way all the time. But the Christians were the ones who would give succor to their enemies when a sect that was previously persecuting them in Rome lost the favor of the government and they were in turn being persecuted, the Christians didn't rejoice and go, ah, ha, 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 it's your turn now. 
See how you like it. That's not what the first century church did. What did they do? They took them in. And they fed them. And they hid them. And they loved them like Jesus. That was the hallmark of first century Christianity. And it should be the hallmark of this century Christianity. But he hates them. He loathes them. He wants to destroy them. His life work is to destroy the church of Jesus. And he was good at it. He was so good at it that he had notoriety. When he arrived in Damascus, ahead of him was coming news. Holy smoke, that guy Saul is coming to Damascus. We better hide. We better hide. The guy that was consenting to the death of Stephen, we better hide. He's been breathing out threats. You follow what I'm saying? This was Saul. Now, let me bring us back to how he loves. Some of y'all feel like maybe you've gone too far. You feel like God could not possibly, possibly love me. But I want you to understand that he still loved Saul. Here we see Saul's anti-Christian sentiment. Not much has changed since Stephen. As a matter of fact, if anything's changed since Stephen, Paul is getting worse. He is diving deeper. After he consented to the death of Stephen, he just got darker and darker and darker. And Jesus says something to Saul on the road to Damascus that's going to be very important to us. But here he is. He's traveling to Damascus to destroy Christianity. Can I say that again? Some of you guys that are not yet believers, you're not sure about what Christianity is, you're not sure you believe, where's the evidence? Here is a man who hates Jesus and he hates Christians, not to the point where he just wants to shut you up, he wants to kill you. Paul was Hitler before Hitler was born, except Hitler toward Christians. You tracking with me? You following? All right. So let's go on. We see in Acts now chapter 9, as he journeyed, Paul came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Press and pause, chasing rabbit, prepare. When the church is persecuted, Jesus is persecuted. When people call you names on Facebook because you're a Christian, they're calling Jesus names on Facebook because you're a Christian. When you don't get that promotion at work because your manager hates your religion, Jesus didn't get the promotion at work. They are hating Jesus, not you. Unless you're a jerk. Some of y'all, you kind of deserve the hate you get. But others who are really walking in the way, capital W, they're, they're hating G. Yeah, come on, brother. Look, my bruise is almost gone. They are hating him. So here Saul is. He has killed Stephen. And when he killed Stephen, what Jesus is saying, you kill me. 
When you drag people into prison, you drag me into prison. And the flip side of it is, if you give a drink of water to a prophet in the name of a prophet or in the name of Jesus, you've done it unto me. The least, the, the, whatsoever you've done to the least of my brethren, you've done to me. It cuts both ways. So we go on. He said, who are you, Lord? Now, Paul, to his credit, did believe in Jehovah, Yahweh, the Jewish God, who is also the Father of Christ. Who are you, Lord? It's a capital L, and it means uh, supreme one. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I... Can you imagine the shock that Paul is going through right now? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And it's hard for you to kick against the goads. you imagine? This is, this is earth-shattering. His whole life is being turned upside down. So he trembling, and what does it say here? Is he astonished? You mean he's a little surprised? Not just that a light shone down from heaven, but that Jesus actually is who he said he was. Paul had been denying this, but Jesus gave us a hint to Paul's conversion. And here it is. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, the pricks, the conscience. When Stephen was preaching, and he preached the gospel from the Old Testament all the way to the end and the beginning of the New Testament, rather, Paul was an incredibly brilliant theologian, and he was listening to what Stephen was saying, and God was convicting him, and he pushed it down and said, no, I will not listen to it, and consented to the death of Stephen. And now that message that Stephen preached, and seeing Stephen look up glorified as he's seeing the risen Christ in heaven, he saw Stephen look up in heaven and say, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he was there and saw Stephen thrown down into the pit. And Stephen get up on his knees and say, Lord God, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. And there's Saul watching all of this. And he is being pricked in his conscience. And the Holy Spirit is convicting him. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It doesn't fit my narrative. It doesn't fit my philosophy. He's pushing it down. He's pushing it away. If I believe this, this, and then I have to turn my back on this, and that is absolutely 100% true. It's called repentance. Oh my gosh. So now he is, he's faced with a crisis here. I'm Jesus. Yeah, that one. To Paul's credit, what does he say? Lord, what do you want me to do? He broke in that moment. The reason he broke, though, is because the conviction of the Holy Spirit through the preaching and testimony of Stephen have been working on him and working on him and working on him and working on him and working on him. And here, church, I want to share with you, some plant, some water. God gives the increase. That's what the Bible says. Stephen planted the blood of those martyrs that were killed by Paul, Saul, watered with their blood. And God is about to pull up a harvest. That's what we're doing, by the way, on Trunk or Treat. We're planting seeds. We're planting seeds, and when they pull that little gospel track out, maybe they read it, and you know what that becomes to them? It becomes the message of Stephen to Saul. And the Holy Spirit takes that and begins to use it. Right? He begins to use it to fertilize their hearts, to plow up the fallow ground. So here is, here is Saul, falls to the ground, 
says, Lord, what do you want me to do? I give up. I give up. I've had enough. I can't fight against it anymore. And the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him in to Damascus. And there he was, three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. He was blinded by the light. Sounds like a song. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Hey, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Hey, get up. Go to the street called Straight. The name of the street was Straight, like Mammoth Road, Street Road. Inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Saul's a changed man. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias, listen, Ananias answered and said, Lord, um, just a second. We need to have a conversation about this. I've heard, I, I've heard from many, remember what I told you? His reputation preceded him. I've heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Paul hated Christianity. He had a reputation of it. And then he became a man redeemed. Ananias, after his little debate with God, anyone else debate with God besides me and Ananias? All right, he has a little debate with God, and finally, you know what? God wins, right? And he goes to the Apostle Paul, and he talks to Paul, and he lays his hand on him, and Paul receives his sight. It's an amazing, amazing amazing thing. He was a man who was redeemed. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his destination changed from hell to heaven. You hear me now? His destination, some of you have a destination right now that you are running toward, and that destination is hell, and you don't have to stay on that track. You can turn from it to Jesus and change your destination He was an incredibly religious man, and yet he was still destined for hell. He was as religious as they come. It wasn't until after his experience with Jesus that he became known as Paul. The horror and hope of Stephen, as I mentioned, stayed with Paul for the rest of his life, not just up until that moment. But he turned it from horror to hope as he testified to people in great authority about the Lord Jesus Christ and his love and willingness to save even a sinner like Paul. He used it as a testimony concerning the gospel. His awe at the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God never diminished in his life. He had this testimony, I am the chief among sinners before Christ came and saved him. He never lost his gratitude that we can tell 
throughout the scriptures. So Ananias made his way and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me uh, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and was baptized. And Saul had a new beginning. If I can have the worship team come forward. This is the beginning of the real life of Paul. If I could have you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute or two, I want to ask you those questions. Have you had your Damascus Road moment? Have you had a moment in your life where you came to understand and believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus is God in the flesh and that he died on the cross to take the penalty for your sin? And that he rose from the grave the third day according to the scriptures. Have you had that moment where you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? He is indeed, as the scripture teaches us, God in the flesh. He is the supreme one. As Paul said, Lord, who are you? Have you had your new beginning? Have you had your new beginning? I hope that you have. There's nothing like it. Not only does your destination change, but your purpose changes. And as we look at the scriptures next week, we're going to see that Paul, he was still a man on a mission, but his mission changed. And it expanded and really has become global like nothing else the world has ever seen. Have you had your new beginning? If God could call Saul out of his murder and his deceit, and give him a new life and a new purpose. Listen, he can give you one too. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, however far you've fallen, whatever lies or whispers the devil is telling you, you can have one too, a new beginning. You can be saved from hell and death and the grave. But you got to trust in Jesus. Exercise that faith. If you feel a stirring in your heart that God is telling you what this crazy preacher is saying is true, what my word says is true, would you pray with me right now? Lord God Almighty, I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, that He came and He died on the cross for my sin, and that He rose from the grave. And I don't deserve it, and I know that I've sinned by birth and by choice, and I'm asking you the best way I know how to forgive me and to give me a new life and a new beginning and a new hope and make me a part of your family. Father God, I offer to you the sacrifice of Jesus for my sin. Thank you. Thank you for saving me and for forgiving me and for giving me a new family and for cleansing me and giving me a new beginning. If you prayed that with me, the Bible says if you believed in your heart and you turned from everything that you were trusting in previously and you're only trusting in Jesus now, the Bible says you've been saved. Saved from the power and penalty of sin. And if that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I have prayed with you this morning. I placed my faith in Jesus alone. And I know now that I have eternal life with Him. Just raise your hand up and hold it for a second. I see your hand. Anybody else? Maybe you're online and you've prayed where you're sitting. I see your hand in the back. Maybe you're online and you've prayed with us. Would you share that with us? Hit that contact button. Fill out the information and, said, I tr and check the box that says, I trusted Jesus as my Savior today. That's the best decision you'll ever make in your whole life, hands down. And you have a new beginning. Now for people like me and Patrick, 
Sometimes we feel like we've failed and we've fallen. And we feel like we've gone too far. We just haven't been following the way we should. And we feel low and, and, and discouraged and, and even in despair because the enemy is whispering in our ear. Listen, it is not too late. If you're not dead, God's not done. And his love for you never fails. It is the greatest of the three left, love, hope, and faith. The greatest is love. And the love of God for his children Listen, it's not contingent upon your performance. It's not contingent upon your behavior. In fact, it is the love of God pouring into you that has the power to transform you from faith to faith. Receive the love of God. Trust in Him. And have a new beginning right here, right now. Hey, all Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.